as I was sitting over there listening to that second to the last song, I was just thinking about the power of a moment. And I didn't really know if it was for me or if it was for us this morning. And I knew it related directly to part of part of my testimony. And and then I realized how much it relates to a part of Hezekiah, which then would relate to all of us today. And in a moment, he made right decisions. Much as I hate it because Hezekiah is kind of one of my heroes and kings. In a moment, he makes a bad decision. It was a moment that my mom said, well, you go to college. And I said, yes. Now, when you go to college and you don't declare a major, they kind of laugh at you. I'm just being honest. So I sat in this this room with a bunch of like advisors who took like extra kids. You know, they're like, oh, you were smart enough to come here and not have a clue what you were coming for. So we'll divvy you up into the rest of the kids. Now, not to say when you declare a major, you actually stay with it because statistically a lot of them change. But at least they go with an idea. I went with no idea. I went with I'm going to do whatever the agreement me and mom made was and maybe meet a chick or two and that's it. I'm out. But the power of a moment, being persuaded to go, and then the power of come to find out, which many of you know, the guy I got divvied up to happened to be one of the professors of ministry at CSU. Then the power of a moment of one of those chicks I thought I was going to pick up inviting me to a halftime thing. And then the power of a moment where the guy had just learned that song that we did two songs ago, I'm Desperate for You, I'm Lost Without You, happened to play that night. Happened to play so long and so intently that I didn't realize the song had ended and the chick had left me. And I was still sitting on the floor at halftime with my heart poured out to the Lord saying and realizing how much I had been faking religion and how lost I really was without a true, genuine relationship with him. The power of a moment of somebody actually saying exactly what came to me the next morning when I woke up. Man, I've been playing church my whole life, yet it's never been like the thing. And I said, Lord, what is it? And I knew instantly my calling was in into some sort of ministry. Never dreamed I'd be this part of ministry. But but anyway, you know, God knew what he was doing along the way. And exactly what Nicole had kind of mentioned of, of wanting church to become like family and wanting to be excited to be there. And and, and, and what did Sierra say? Like, uh, she didn't really even say I'm sick of going to Atlanta. She just said, I just want to be here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't tell you how many mornings my mom and dad made me go, but I dreaded going to church, to be honest with y'all. I guess that sounds horrible as a pastor, but man, it was boring and it sucked. <laughs> right? So I'm just being real. You know, so, so something in those moments, though, began to get us there. And as we go through Kings, man, and we dive through these first, the first two books of Kings, or only two books of Kings, however you want to write it, man, we realize that after David and really after Solomon, I guess who gets a little bit of goodness, Israel is so full of nothing but wicked kings. And it's because, understand it, because the day we get this finally, this finally, then we get a little bit of it. I don't get to go all the way into his. I, I swear you guys, I told, I don't know if Jeremiah was in the house, but I was telling the girls yesterday and, and some of the kids were in there. I said, I've been waiting so long to get to Hezekiah in chapter 19 and chapter 20. And, and then I forgot about chapter 18, to be honest with you guys. And, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to knock that whole chapter out one day so that we can get there next Sunday. And you saw Carla stop. Some verses short, and that wasn't by accident. That's because we're not going to make it through the whole chapter. And the Lord is teaching me about moments, I guess. <laughs> so, 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 but, but in this moment, after all these wicked kings, because they didn't take the moment. You know, if, if you've got nothing else, I hope we've uh, iterated one strong point that the writer of Kings writes about. That moment is about the high places. Every single king he gets to, 
He writes a lot about him if they did something with the high places. And then he writes a very little bit about him if he didn't like what they did with the high places. Or, you know, we might get a little bit more if they did something extra bad with the high places so we can learn from it. But everything about him signifies on that one thing. And then today we get this one king, and there, there might be four or five, I need to, I guess, get my list together, that are actually considered good. You know, David and Hezekiah, I would say, steps above the, the, the rest by no means, but, but there's some others that did some stuff. But you got this guy who's 25 years old. And, and, and you heard what Carla just read, or you read over yourself, and in verses 1 through 3 and verses 5, it wraps up who he was as a king. It tells us the time frame. It tells us what he did, and, and, and it tells us, you know, how, how awesome he was, and, and all this right here. And what re, the, the writer, why he really gets on Hezekiah, and why we get to spend so much time on him, is because he did something with the high places. Finally. Finally, we got a guy who didn't care what the world had going on, who didn't care how weird it was going to look, who didn't care that when the song stopped and, and the chicks were gone, that you were the dork-looking guy laid out on this floor in, in this, this room that they had turned into to a little concert worship room, you know, and it happens. And, and, and for Hezekiah, man, as, as he gets into this thing, he steals the attention of the writer. I think he goes into like almost four chapters on Hezekiah, and they're like they're long chapters. You know, I, I asked Carl, I said, well, since we're going to stop early, do you think we should read the whole chapter so they get the whole chapter twice? Because then we would read it again next week. And she said, well, since I'm reading, no, they should only get the verses that you're doing. She didn't say it quite like that, but that's kind of the, the vibe I got from it. But we get here when this, this king that steals his attention, man, and, and as we study him, one of the big themes that stays throughout his whole career, even on the negative lesson, it's because of a lack of it, is trust. Hezekiah trusted God, I might can say, more than anyone else. Now, I know that that's a big statement when you're thinking about people like David and all that, but but David had his significant things that he stood to. But, but Hezekiah, the word trust, is what's repeated over and over. And, and I, I grabbed Isaiah 26, 4 when I first saw it. It says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord your God, Yahweh, is that everlasting rock. If you stand on that rock, if you dance on that rock, oh, man, nothing else around it matters. It, you know, I, I think sometimes about like when, when we let stuff matter and when nothing else matters. You know, what if you were to just, I think back, I think I shared with you guys a few months back or, or maybe shorter uh, about the old man I passed going down 27 who just stood up on this porch and I thought something was wrong. So I turned around. He was literally just worshiping on his porch, but he was like standing there and, and, and dancing, you know, for the Lord. And I was like, man, how many times did my neighbors when I lived in the neighborhood, did they catch me like with those windows open, me running around the house going crazy, like just, just getting into some genuine worship with God and that kind of trust when you're on the rock. Verse five. Where I, where I, I proved for, for today that it, that it sums up. It says he trusted in Yahweh, the God of Israel, so that after him, listen to this, man. How, how cool would it be for this to be written about you? He trusted in Yahweh, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. He trusted in God so much that Scripture writes that there was nobody like him before him, during him, or after him. So I guess it is safe. To, I'm okay to say what I said a minute ago about him having more trust than anyone else, right? Like it, it, it's what Scripture says, and we'll see. We'll talk about this trust in later verses today, later chapters coming up. But he, but he has this this hope, this no worry mentality. Maybe it was a whole point of of Beth's praise report not to pick on her husband and kid anymore about being different. 
You know, and, and isn't that like us sometimes? Sometimes we criticize those who are most different than us because they're not like us. Am I right? You didn't handle it the way I would have handled it, so therefore it was wrong. There's more than one way to handle certain situations, right? So, so but, but he had no worry and he had no trust. Or he had he had no worry because he had so much hope and so much trust. Let me ask you that. Do you have enough trust that others can see it? If you were to pass by that pothole, as a tire guy, our eyes light up with cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. But for the rest of the people passing by, like what what did they see? Did they see somebody out there kicking the car and frustrated and mad because they're going to be late to work? Did they see a little girl sitting on the side crying because she ready for the I don't know if Katie Beth did. You know, she's not really a crier, probably like her mom, I'm sure. But, you know, what did they, or did they just see a dude out there chilling? Did they see another dude changing the tire? Did they see one guy mad because he had a big wheel in it? Got brought? What did they see while they passed by? Did people see enough trust in you where they know it? I sat by the poolside Friday night, and I had heard how Parker was actually afraid of the pool at the campground just uh, three weeks before, maybe four, whenever Memorial Day was. And I watched him. Run straight off the edge of the thing into the water. Except for dad was there to catch him. And you would have thought that would have been what he was, he was, he was, he was confident enough in because dad was in that area. But after, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 minutes of Chris finally getting him some cardio to, to go with his diet and all that, I watched him run to this side and, and Chris, you know, worked his way down the edge of the pool like a good responsible father would do to catch him. And, and I watched little Parker. Which, by the way, let me let me throw this out here because here's what I'm thinking while I'm watching it. My brain is just always always running on stuff that probably just seems weird. I'm thinking, man, here's a kid who's got like like he had a skull problem. So like if he falls on concrete, like that's real bad. He ain't worried about it. Don't care. You know, like like how many excuses do we come up with not to run when God tells us to run? When in reality, God's saying, stop worrying about it. You know, you know what I'm saying? So 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 he's over here and Chris is working his way down the pool and I watch him and he looks. I was like, he, he's about to like straight this other side, right? He's, he's scooting down and Chris is moving faster than he's ever moved, you know, and, and, he, and he makes it there. But Parker don't stop. Like, it's not like a get to the edge. Dad says, jump to me and you jump. Like, it's a. <laughs> like, like if Chris ain't there, dude's gone. He's under the water. You know what I'm saying? Which I, I know you think, well, he can go underwater for a couple of Yes, I know that. I threw my kids underwater on purpose, okay? Like I was, yeah. But but think about it. Like there was no, that's the kind of trust we're supposed to be moving with, though. I watched his little feet, man. And I was just watching this trust sermon get laid out in front of me with with the, with the what, 18 months old? How about that for a good guess, right? Like, like it was no, I loved it. There was no stop. Like every time he every time he was gonna go. Now when he didn't go, he was getting a ball or whatever. But when he was gonna go, it was just I mean just just no pause, no beat, no nothing. I was like, what if we would walk for God that way? What if we would trust in our father? Chris is a good dad. He moved real quick. I'm not being serious. He's got all he he cares about me. I, I watched him like they, they they worry about him and then they were concerned about him, but they want him to have fun at the same time. But Chris is just like me. He's a human dad. He's got some faults. I got some problems. But if, but if, but if a little boy could have that much trust in an earthly father, why well, can't I have that much trust in Abba, the heavenly father? I was going to end with this, but I, I got, and I may still repeat it. So just get ready to hear it twice, right? Do you, do you try, we're, we're believers are supposed to be, right? Church is supposed to be a gathered believer, or at least those who are hoping will become believers. 
do, do you trust God with your salvation, like your eternity? Whatever you believe. I know we got some mixed up views and we're still learning a lot of that stuff. But do you trust God with eternity? Wherever your kingdom is or, or however you're learning and interpreting that, right? You trust him with that, right? Is that not a really big deal? Because I'm thinking like eternity is like a big deal, right? Like I got to use my little illustration last night when God was asking a question about how long forever going to take. And I was like, well, you, you walk down to Edisto Beach and you pick up one grain of sand and you walk all the way back to California. You sit that grain of sand down and you walk all the way back to Edisto Beach and you pick up one grain of sand. By the time you moved all the sand from Edisto Beach over to California, eternity just started. Do, do you understand now how big eternity is? Like, seriously, that, that, that is, it just began, right, when you're thinking about measuring. So it's a big deal. So if you trust God with your soul for eternity, how come you can't trust God with your finances? How come you can't trust God with your job? Oh, for God's sake, how come you can't trust him with a way to raise your children? How come you can't trust him with your marriage? Huh? If you can trust him with the biggest, most important thing in the world, how come you can't trust him with this real life stuff that really matters? So then either eternity is not that big of a deal to you or you don't really trust him with eternity or you really mix up on your view of trust. Right? Hezekiah. Hezekiah's got so much trust. I didn't want to jump in, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump around. We do. We do. All right. So we're going to come back. Hezekiah's got so much trust that when the king of Assyria begins to attack him, he realizes something about him. If you skip down. This is the only reason I made her even go to, to, to verse 18. But if you skip down to 19 and 20, so, so just past what she read. This guy says to him, the speaker for the great king of, of the king of Assyria. And he says this in 19. Says, what is this confidence that you have? What he's saying when you break it down is what is this trust that you're trusting in? That's not even the, I don't even want to get to the answer because that's like a week away. What I want to get to is, do you act the way Hezekiah must have been? We don't even know how he's acting, by the way. We don't get to know what he says, what he does. It just tells us that the king of Assyria gets ticked off and comes back after him again after his little downfall, which I'm getting way ahead, right? But if you acted in a way where your enemies, your enemies now, not your friends, not your mama, not your daddy, not your, not your spouse, not your kids, your enemies look at you and they're like, well, what what is this trust that you're trusting in? It don't even sound like a real sentence in English when you break it down that way, right? Like, what is this trust that you're trusting in? Like Crystal would tell me, you're not talking proper, right? You're repeating the same word over and over. You're defining it with the word. Yeah, but but this is what he's saying. He said, "What is this trust that you're trusting in?" Could you imagine getting ready to fight somebody? <laughs> this is all you got to picture the scene, man. They're getting ready to like ball, right? Could you imagine getting ready to like ball with somebody and they pause? Hold on. What is this trust that you're trusting in? I'd punch him in the mouth right then. You know what I'm saying? Wide open spot. I trusted in the Lord to make you think about what I was trusting in. Right? Whoa, but, 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 but how awesome is that? Before he even gets to the fight, he pauses and he's like, I, I kind of want to know what he's trusting in before we. Maybe there's a little bit of fear. Maybe he's thinking before we get beat, maybe we should figure out what this guy's got going on. Right? I don't know. I'm, I'm way off. I'm way ahead. I'm, I'm all around the corner. So jump back with me and ride this boat. Right? So Hezekiah's enemies, they recognize this trust. They didn't understand it, but they recognized it. Now, what I love to get us back on track is that this guy's opposite of his dad. I was going to do the whole sermon, by the way, since it's the week before Sunday, on just not letting your daddy make you who you are. Which sounds real weird, right? You're like, that's not really good. 
Because I'm so sick of people having the excuse of you don't understand this way my daddy was, this way this was, and this way it's got to be. And Hezekiah breaks the mold. However your family was, whatever cycle, whatever repeat thing that was going on, you had to add that way. Even if you break it in stages. My granddaddy was an alcoholic, mean as a snake. Loved me because I was his grandson, but I don't know about the rest, right? No, but, but, but seriously, like that, that, was, that was the mold. So I got a lot of family members that became that way. My dad started that way. Then he got to a point after 12 years of it, and he said, you know what? It don't have to be this way just because it was that way. So we broke it. Now, then I've got a dilemma now because I'm like, hold on. I've got an A and a B option. You know what I'm saying? Thank God that he broke it. But I, I think it was all part of God. You know, I think God's got great plans. Even when we don't know him, right? I think even the A part, which was the bad answer, was still part of God's plan to get us to the B so that I looked at both A and B and I said, you know what? I'm going to do C. I'm not going to do none of them. I'm going to stay away from all of it because I didn't like it when it was A and, 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 and I respect the B. Right? So, so he started breaking the mold right there in the middle so that therefore I could break the cycle. So, so we don't have the excuse of, oh, that's the way it's always been by my family. We've always done it this way. We've always struggled here. We've always been addicted to this. We've always done this. We've always, no, bull crap. You don't get that excuse of it always being that way because Hezekiah breaks the mold right here, man. And if you're thinking your problems are worse than Hezekiah, Hezekiah watched his daddy, don't forget this, watched his daddy take his brother to a sacrifice. I don't know if y'all remember that. I know it was a whole chapter ago, so it's like a really long time for some of you to remember, right? He, he what did he want to say? Ahaz took his son sacrificed it to this God. Remember we, we did that. They beat the drum so you couldn't hear it, all that kind of stuff. If anybody's got a reason to grow up and be a jerk, is it not Hezekiah? He watched his dad sacrifice. Well, I guess in essence, he probably didn't watch it since that was his older brother. But anyway, he probably heard about it. That'd be safe to say, right? Don't you think? Hey, I remember when your dad, aren't you lucky you weren't born first? Because <laughs> your brother, he's up there getting roasted. What? This is the stories he would have heard about his dad, right? Man, so maybe this is a prelude to Father's Day. How about dad stepping up? Huh? How about dad stepping up? What, what I really love is this. Well, well, two things here. Two things, right? First one is this. So it, it lists, we'll be in verse three. I, I don't know where we're at. Let's just roll with scripture, right? We're somewhere in chapter 18. He did what was right in the Lord's sight. As his, so, so mine says ancestor David. Some of your translations say as his dad David. Now it's already listed a daddy. Right? So I'm like, well, well, why you got to have another daddy? Because David was a spiritual daddy. When the physical daddy didn't do his job, spiritual daddy had to, had to be the one. Do you really want somebody else to be your spiritual, your children's spiritual daddy than you? Crystal gives me a hard time because she knows, she knows it's, it's that gut punch for me, right? She catches me riding a motorcycle without a helmet or, or being dumb or, or whatever. She'll throw this sentence out in a heartbeat. It makes me want to choke her to death, right? I'm just being honest. But, but, but she'll throw it out. She said, well, my next, ch- or my next hubby, he, uh, he's gonna have to raise the kids then. Or somebody else can be raising your kids. Or, or she'll, she'll get to that point where another man is raising my children. I will come back as a ghost, drag his butt out to bed, and beat the snot out of him. You know what I'm saying? And that's just for being in the bed with my woman. Think about what I'm gonna do when he's with my kids. You know what I'm saying? But, but it gets me. It really does get me. Like it makes me think, man, I don't want nobody else raising mine. You know what I'm saying? Especially not for a dumb reason like me just wanting to have fun on a motorcycle or do something crazy. So I, when I read this, man, instantly when I read it, he had to have a spiritual daddy. I'm mad. I'm like, anybody going to take my job from me? 
Right? I was appalled that, that he even had to have two daddies mentioned in the same chapter. But he had to because physical daddy wasn't doing his job. You don't do your job, somebody else is going to do it. Thank God somebody's going to do it, right? But it should hurt your feelings that somebody else got to do it. Not only, not only did he have a spiritual daddy, here's what I love, same verse. Check this out, which means what? We're still in verse three, right? Yeah. So I do, no, we're still not in three. I did it wrong. I should have never started these verses out of line. This is y'all's problem. Right? Right before it, right before it. I apologize. He was 25 years old when he became king. Young guy. Reigned 29 years. His mama's name was Abby. The daughter of Zachariah. Now you're like, what? Well, that's kind of a, kind of a random thing. He just told us who his dad was, well, you know, and the way we read scripture. You know what Abby means? Abai, however you want to say it. Not Abba. Bronze with Abba, so it should give you a pretty good hint. A-B-I. What does Abba mean? Come on, I use it all the time. You better know that one. Abba's father. All right, so we call daddy. Daddy's daddy's guy. He's daddy God. What's A-B-I? Fatherly. Or related to, the, to that sense. You can break it down, break it down a couple different ways, right? Now, I know y'all thinking this is just a really cool coincidence, and maybe it is. Maybe it's not. What's the chances a lady who had to play the role of mama and daddy before she ever knew she was going to go be a mama had to name fatherly? I don't think it's a coincidence that it gets mentioned here. I did the first hundred times I read the chapter, or at least I, not even coincidence. I, I never paid much attention to it. I'm put it to you that would be honest, right? Oh yeah, that's his mama, cool, whatever. But but something kept ringing every time I was like, why is it mentioning his mama every single time? You know, when I get to this section about him doing good, because his daddy sucked. Daddy didn't do his job, so that tells me when it mentions mama, mama must have been doing something pretty darn good. Thank God for mamas that will fill in when daddies don't do it right. Maybe that's like our in between Mother's Day and Father's Day little thing, right? Thank God for mamas that will step up to the plate and, and act fatherly. When the daddy's off, really being a devil, is he not? Huh? Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I could only say this at my own church, right? This is a revival. We wouldn't be able to do this one, right? I was writing some notes in my hand, and I went to write Ahaz, and I wrote ass. And I was like, you know what? Ahaz did kind of act like an ass, so it kind of flows right in line with it. Maybe I was talking about a donkey. I don't know. But I just thought that was pretty spot on when I happened to look down on my chicken scratch. Now y'all know why I type stuff, right? And I was like, he was being an idiot. He's running around living like a devil, man. And this woman steps up to the plate and does a good job. Mamas, you got you have the option to have a powerful influence and an impact on your child. I would have never had my moment at the halftime if I hadn't had a moment with my mama. I would have never, not that I was nowhere near Paul, but understand me, I can relate with Paul. I would have never been like Paul had mama not made sure I made it to church for 12 years. Daddy was doing whatever daddy was doing. Right? I don't think the fella getting high is going to make sure you're getting some spiritual food. I think that was mama doing it then. Now, how awesome is it, though, that God lined it up where mama would set the foundation and then daddy would come in and give the illustration and then Abba Father would lock it all down. How about some moments, right? God, if not, we would just give God some moments, the difference he can make in our lives. We would open our eyes to see the moments that are always around us that we just want to block off because, oh, it doesn't sound good or it doesn't make us feel good. Who cares what sounds good and makes you feel good if it's going to fulfill God's promise for you? Right? Thank God there ain't no road right there. Y'all going to get spit on a lot if you're in the front right there, right? 
A godly mama steps it up. Here's what godly mama does. Very first thing he comes in. I ain't gonna spit that far. I said right here, right? Godly, so don't come to the altar yet. You get bathed, right? Godly mama steps it up. Verse four. He removed the high places. This is why he's written about. He removed the high places. He shattered the sacred pillars. He cut down the Asher poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made for until the Israelites were burning incense to it. This guy just come in while the world's going one way. And he says, you know what, world? You are going such a wrong direction. I'm just going to shake everything up. Can you imagine the audacity in the guts of shattering something that was 800 years old, by the way? This is something Moses made in the wilderness. Y'all go back and study some Deuteronomy, right? Like they in the wilderness, people getting bit by snakes and they not believing. So God tells them, you know, you make this snake out of bronze. Daughter, and when they see it, they'll be healed. And, and it goes on and, and whatnot. This is an 800 year artifact. He comes in and baseball bats the crap out of this thing. Right? I don't even, how do you shatter bronze? Can somebody even tell me that? Because I, I believe scripture, but I don't even know how that happens. Did he stick some like future TNT up in that thing and just blow it up? Like what did he really do to shatter it? Destroy it? Crumble it up? And then he looks at him and he calls it by a name, which Carla did a better job trying to pronounce. I won't even pronounce, but I can tell you what it means in Hebrew. It means pieces of bronze. So what he's saying is, is, is you guys are messing it up. Like God's the only one worthy of worship, but you're over here. You started worshiping this, this, this thing that was made. How often do we worship what was made by the creator instead of the creator himself? What if, what if we were to go down? Could you imagine this? This is real life right here, right? Because all God would let me concentrate on as I think about this snake when I got to that section is crosses. I'm just shooting straight with you guys. I know it ain't all of us, but it's a lot of people in the world, right? And I even had one of the, one of the, a really pretty area I think is, is Brazil where they got that big old cross and then they got the big old, what I think is, is it a saint or it might even be Jesus himself. I'm not sure. Anyway. Jesus himself. And I just wondered, I just wondered, because it's been there for a long time. I don't know if it's been seven or eight hundred years like Moses' bronze snake, but what would the world think if I was to roll over there and just crumble it up? And then when they put me on the news while I'm in jail, because I would be in jail and it would be all right, but when they put me on the news, if I was to say, you guys had it wrong, you started worshiping something that was made rather than who it represented. Or maybe everybody would just hate it because we're doing, y'all are doing the same thing. I'm not doing this. I ain't saying the we on that one. Sometimes I'll throw a we out there with you, right? But I ain't, I ain't doing it. How many things have we started worshiping? What, 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 here's what blows my mind is I think we've even started worshiping Bibles. Not the words in the Bible, but just the Bible. Go to somebody's house and they got like the family Bible sitting on the family table and it's like, oh, that's cool. It ain't been open in 50 years. Great, great grandmama who passed it down to you didn't open it, and you ain't opened it either. What if I was just pick it up and throw it in the trash then? What if I was throw it in the fire? Oh, I might as well get rid of that. It's become a worship item. It'd get somebody's attention, would it not? But would it get your heart? Huh? Man, I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we need some Hezekiah stuff, man. We need somebody who's going to care so much about stuff that's going to realize. Maybe maybe this is what he realized right here. Not only was he influenced by Mama, but I think Mama did some teaching to him, right? So maybe Mama had taught him the Ten Commandments, right? It's safe to say that he was probably taught, what, the first five books of the Bible to a T, right? Am I remember right? Yeah, maybe y'all should do some more reading and understand it, right? So, that, so when you get to the Ten Commandments, the second of the Ten Commandments deals with idolatry. That's Exodus chapter 20. Then he takes three verses to talk about this one command. 
Your mom and daddy ever had to repeat something to you over and over and over and over and over and over and over? Your spouse ever had to repeat something to you over and over and over and over and over and over and over? Huh? Might it be important? Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Because it's what led to their problem throughout the wilderness. And it's what's led to their problem when they finally get into the kingdom. Why? Because they, they had these. Here's what happened. They stopped trusting God. And it shows because here's what happens when you stop trusting God. You find your identity in what you begin to worship. I thought it was just a cool video that Danny had sent me this week. And I, and I loved it. And it was awesome, right? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks when I was reading right after the video again on my, on my chapter. And I was like, that fits right in. What you find your identity in is what you worship. So it becomes your idol. And for them, it was fear. For them, that, Notice why they started worshiping other gods. Same reason we, we said people in Africa and in China, other people add one to the shelf. Why? Let's appease to everybody so that, you know, we're, we've got this thing covered, right? But, the, but then it hit me. And here's what the guy in the video said. It was so perfect, man. He said, you look like what you worship. What what did God? This is awesome, right? Just a, just a thirty second thing, but it was awesome. What did God continually call the Israelites? No, 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 no. In a negative way. You stiff necked. Did he not? And that what he said? You stiff necked people. What does an idol look like? God in the video does does the thing so you can get it right. Maybe I should have did it too. What what does an idol look like? Stiff-necked. You look like what you worship. You're so stiff-necked. Here's where it gets back to Hezekiah. You're so stiff-necked that you can't run off the pool deck because you're afraid. You, you, you ever know? Maybe I get to see it more with some coaching, but but I can tell you from the very first practice what kid's afraid and what kid ain't by the way they do their first hit. I don't, I don't care if they've had no training. Doesn't matter. You don't need training to figure out fear. You need training to get it right. Don't get me wrong and to be safe and all that kind of stuff. But you don't need training to figure out fear. If a kid's going to run right at another kid without any breaks, he ain't got no fear. That's the kid I want. I can train that kid. Right? But but your kid that runs and then stops just a little bit, he becomes stiff-necked. He's allowed fear to get in the way of his next move. Parker ain't had no fear. There was no stiff-necked. There was no pause. It was a he ain't even had, I watched him in the pool a little bit later. <laughs> Who knew Parker was going to be the sermon, right? He ain't even in the notes. You didn't make the notes, buddy, but you made everything else, right? Like, like I watched him in the pool and like, Chris would be holding whatever, and he just like sling his head back. And like, oh my God, you got a head problem, don't do that. He ain't out of fear. He don't care. He was in the hands of daddy. Didn't matter how wet the back of the head get, didn't matter, you know what I'm saying? Like, he just sling it back there, and I was like, why? Don't do that! But I wonder if you and I would start acting like we completely trusted in God if the rest of the world would be like, oh, don't do that. And then we would realize a moment later, oh, God, I wish I could do that. You see the transition? We shock them. We shock them. You know, just like those enemies. What is this trust you're trusting in? But then they get it. and They get, oh, I, I, I want to be like that. Beth told Jeremiah last night, you know, going through this. Talking about his testimony again from a couple weeks ago. She said, I wish I could be like that. And just let go of all those worries and doubts you got going on. <laughs> right? But, but isn't that easier said than done? Huh? It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to even believe it. It's right. It's a whole other thing to change your actions. Hezekiah, 
knew it. I, I totally missed this. I apologize. He, he knew it and all this stuff. We are in a lot of trouble, by the way, when I look at what page number of notes are on. Uh, he, 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 he knew everything because he, here's what he said. He said, I've got the will to do it. I don't just know it's wrong. I've got the will to address it. So, so, he, so willpower, he goes in and he does it, right? You know who else had a whole lot of trust in, 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 in Yahweh? Who in the New Testament, who in all of Scripture, had the most trust in Yahweh than anybody else? Come on, it's your answer for everything. Jesus! Right? I thought I'd be a wise button in my religion classes. Every time we had a question on a test I didn't know, which was a lot of them, I would write Jesus. Finally, one, one professor, Skip Martin, he goes, hey, I need to see you after class. I was like, great. It's not good for me normally. So I, I roll up there and I'm talking to him. He goes, hey, why you got Jesus for like three different answers? I said, because he's my answer to everything, Mr. Martin. <laughs> so he wrote. I only missed three now. I played them, but I actually made pretty darn good grades. Right? He wrote an X on all three. And then he told me, I like your reasoning. Don't ever use it again in this class. <laughs> But it was worth a shot, right? How can you say Jesus had more trust than anybody? Where did Jesus follow Yahweh's commands to? Cross. Right? Which gets compared to what? That bronze snake. Right? So it's not like this stuff had to be bad. We made it bad. Isn't it funny that we can take something God meant for so much good and make it bad? Hmm. We do that with so many things in life. Right? But, but he followed him, and, he, and he, if it's the will of you, if it's the will of you, whatever it is, I don't like. He even said on one of them, which I really love, right? He's like, well, I don't know if that's what I don't want to do, but if it's your will, so be it. That's a good, honest answer, man. You can't you can't go wrong with an answer like that, right? This is this is this is Hezekiah, and, and Hezekiah is going to be. We're going to get real big into Hezekiah's worship here in a couple weeks. I, I think he worshipped right, so he could act right. Go back to what the guy said, right? You you look like what you worship. Hezekiah, I, I, I can't do it. Hezekiah makes a, a statement on his deathbed, right, that changes everything. And he only did it because he had good worship. I'm not going there. Next thing. Yeah, we, we will sit here all day. I will preach all four chapters of Hezekiah. I promise you right now, right? N- next thing right here. So we, we, we study this king who, who trusted Jesus, right, because of his, his passion. He had a willing spirit to say, you know what, finally enough is enough. H- how many of you who hadn't, like, read this thing over and over, like, like the first time you read this week, just pretend if you don't normally read that you read this week, right? How many of you, the first time you heard it, though, you were like, finally, somebody did something with the high places, right? It's almost like a breath of fresh air. You're like, yes, somebody finally did something, right? It's like, yes. How many of y'all had a breath of fresh air first time hymnals was taken out of church? Too early for that one. Sorry, never mind. Wrong, wrong environment. I apologize. Don't throw it against me. I know where you're going, right? We need a willing spirit like this guy, though, right? Hezekiah did what was right despite what was going on all around him. Now, this is what all he did. Now, y'all stay with me. Turn to turn Second Chronicles. I'm going to fly through these because I'm not going to lie to you. I am way, way behind. Right? But I, I can't miss it. So, so Hezekiah, he gets written about in Kings as what? Somebody who dealt with the high places. But that's all the right. Here's what you got to understand. That's all the writer of Kings was focused on. So that's all he wrote. He did so much more. You go to 2 Chronicles 29, 1 through 3. It's at the very first month of his reign he reopened the temple. Who closed the temple? His daddy. Right? Could you imagine having to go down there and reopen and reorganize everything your daddy had destroyed? His daddy closed the temple. His daddy fired all the priests, right? 
His daddy logged it up. Hezekiah, what did he do? He opened it back up. He said, you know what, this back in. He instituted the priesthood back in. He instituted sacrifices happening again. You read 36 and 35, he goes even further with, with getting people into the temple, right? He, he's got another agenda. Uh, chapter 30, verse 1, he opens Passover back up again. They celebrate Passover again. They ain't did that in a long time, right? They hasn't it stopped all that. He takes it a step further when you read Chronicles. He not only had Passover for, for his brothers and sisters that were Jewish, he took all the refugees in. Wow, we're not seeing like a little piece of the... Some of y'all, I think sometimes you're like, I think the New Testament, the Old Testament, I think it's everywhere. Stop acting like it's two separate books, please. It's got the same Arthur, okay? Right? So, so I hope we get there, right? So so anyway, he, he, he gets Passover going. He lets the, the, the remaining refugees from the northern kingdom come in. It's such a huge success. Well, I got to read it. Yeah. Y'all will be all right. It's raining. You ain't got nothing better to do today. Right? Uh, chapter 30, verses 23 through 27. Hope this is the right one. The whole congregation, yeah, this is it. The whole congregation, matter of fact, this is a perfect verse to stop and read when you know you're going to preach long, right? The whole congregation decided to observe seven more days. <laughs> Y'all want to preach for seven more days, right? Here's what I say. So Passover is what? It is. It's a week long. It is seven days. They got to the seventh day, and all these people were like, this, this is awesome. Right? If you've never celebrated and been there, you may not know, right? But it's so awesome. You come back with that. I feel like Mitch had about a mountaintop experience, right? But, but, but here's what they said. They said, you know, we ain't stopping. Let's go seven more days. Now they didn't have to. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't a requirement. The requirement was what? Seven days. My God, what would happen in a church if we went further than we were required to go? Huh? What if y'all said, you know what? Preach for seven more hours. As long as y'all bring me a bone to chew on or something up here for a minute, I'll be good to go, right? What, but it's awesome. Hey, look what else they go. So seven more days uh, for King Hezekiah Judah contributed a thousand bulls. This guy's paying out of his own pocket. Don't ever expect something from somebody else that you're not willing to do yourself. It says that he, he appointed these extra ones. He brought the extra bulls. He brought 7,000 sheep. Also, the officials contributed. Oh, man. You gotta love it when the leader's on fire and then his team gets on fire. Now all the officials, they've watched the leader do what the leader should have been doing, and now they say, man, now we're free to do what we should have been doing. That's gonna go deeper. It's gonna go way, way deeper, right? I don't know if it's in this section, so I'm gonna keep reading just in case. Right? Then the whole assembly of Judah with the priests and the Levites, the whole assembly that came from Israel, the resident aliens, so those, those refugees, they came from the land of Israel who were living in Judah rejoiced. There was great Hold on a little thin pages. Sorry for the pause. Great rejoicing in Jerusalem for nothing like this was ever known since the days of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Then the priests and the Levites stood and they blessed the people and God heard them and their prayer came into his holy dwelling place in heaven. They got so real with God that it actually makes a note to make sure we understand God heard them and God got it. Whew. Look how much further it goes. Though. That, that, that's just like tipping iceberg still. Leader gets it. His team gets it. Look, look, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Such a huge success. They wanted to go on, right? 31-1. When all this was completed, so they finally made it to the end of the second week, right? I know what you're thinking. Well, it's like us. We just go back to our normal, our normal thing, right? <laughs> Not if you just got on fire for 14 days. Fire's got to burn longer than that, right? 
All this was completed. All the Israelites who had attended went out to the cities of Judah. And they, who's they? Just the normal people, right? Just the common folks, right? It's all right to be a common folk. I'm a common folk. I love it, right? The common folks, they went out to the cities of Judah. And what did they do? They broke up the sacred pillars. They chopped down Nasher poles. They tore down the high places of the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin, as well as Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, to the last one. Then all the Israelites returned to the cities, each to his own possession. You know, they went even further. They're like, we're going to go to another city and another city. So much so that you can picture like this big old group of people, right? They're walking around. They're like, there's one more Asher pole. And like, whoever gets the last one wins a point or something. So they did it to the very last one. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. Hezekiah didn't have to do it. His officials didn't have to do it. It said that his people did it. Hezekiah led the people back to God and God took over. That's what happens. Right? He's a great, magnificent king, right? He brought Judah back to God. And when God got to the hearts of the people, idols didn't stand a chance no more. I had to understand that this week and I thought it was good when I was reading 31.1 and going over in the excitement that's in it for me, right? Hezekiah, he only did what he was responsible for. He did his part. He did his part. And then God took care of the rest. Right? If you can get God with the people... Got to take care of the rest of their lives. Now, some of us are called to be teachers. We know that from New Testament. Some of us called to disciple. Some of y'all just called to make an introduction. And you need to understand that's okay. For two reasons. One, because that's not an undervalued thing. You, you, ever, you ever been to like a, like a big event? You got this person who goes around just introducing everybody? That person has an important role. If not, we'd have a party with a lot of people who didn't know each other. Right? So they got to go around and make introductions and this is so-and-so and this is so-and-so and let me hook you guys up and, and you guys are like each other because she does this and, and she does that and boom, my wife's great at it. She'll find women who teach like other women or, or who raise kids like other women and she'll team them up in a heartbeat, man. Like This, this is your pair right here, right? This is this is where you're going to go. This is going to be your new best friend. I'm commanding it right now in the name of Jesus, right? So you, you got that going on. Here's the second reason. Second reason you need to really understand this. One, one it's not an undervalued thing. Two, if you go further than your job is supposed to go, you'll screw things up. If your job's to be the introducer, don't you dare try to take it a step further. They're not going to be your best friend. They're going to be who you introduce them to's best friend. Does that make sense? If Hezekiah tried to go further, how would the people have responded? We have no idea, thank God, because he only did what he was supposed to do. Right? Some of y'all get in some trouble and some of y'all ruin some stuff. I, I mean, I don't mean this to sound like a jerk. I'm just being honest. Some of y'all mess some stuff up in life for other people because you try to go further than you're supposed to go. Know your responsibility. Hand it over to God. And God will clearly take care of the rest. There's a fire going so much that the leaders get it. The common folk get it. The common folk get it so much they go and destroy everything. That was wrong. Right? This is a massive, awesome revival taking place, man. This is big time. Go back to 2 Kings 18. Oh, you're lucky. This is a page of notes we already went over, so you're all right. All right. Verse 4, talking about the Asher pole again, so we're already there, right? We're good. I mean, let me skip on down. Here's the second thing. So not only does he have a passion, he's got perseverance. Now, there's going to be some things in this section that you're not going to like, but I think it's important, so please just grab me. Right? I'm just going to use Scripture for it nothing else. Five through six is where I get it from. Go back to Kings 18, five and six. 
Everybody right now just paused and they were like, thank God we're not doing this whole chapter. Hezekiah relied on the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but he kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. Here's what he's got. He's got a passion, but he's also got perseverance. You can get a passion, but if you ain't got no perseverance, it ain't going to take you and keep you going. Right? It's a great statement, man. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. He, he, pluralism is gone. Isn't that what we called it a couple weeks ago? Pluralism? Probably a word that doesn't even a real word, but we used it, right? Like there's, there's no multiple things. This, this, this is one God and one God only. Verse 6, he clung to the Lord and did not depart from him. You ever watch like a, like a baby that's a mama's baby? You ever seen that? There ain't nobody else that can hold that baby and make that baby happy other than mama. We call them what? Clingy. We do. It's true, right? Why are you so clingy? Right? Huh? But isn't that a good illustration about the way we're supposed to cling to God? We should be, we should be clung to him, man. Hooked to him, right? And he did not depart from him. Here, here's what I want to understand. So, so two key ingredients. He clung to God, perseverance. The second part of that, he kept his commands, obedience. You gotta have passion. You gotta have perseverance. And you better have obedience. Any of them's missing, you in trouble. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. You guys go and go and read it. But he breaks down this thing and he talks about works and he talks about faith. And, and there's even this section that we all know, right? So faith, even if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Or someone may say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And, and he goes on even, even a little bit deeper, including Abraham at the end of the section talking about righteousness and all. And I don't want you to misread James. I don't want you to misunderstand something. He's not saying that works are needed in addition to faith for salvation. That would be heresy. That would be wrong. But he's saying if faith doesn't have works, then maybe it ain't real faith. He's just being honest. Right? He's not saying they, 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 they add to one another. He's saying if they both don't exist, it's probably a problem there that you need to be aware of, right? Faith alone is required salvation. But faith that is required is not a cheap, a weak, or a watered-down faith. It's a faith that's breaking down stuff. It's a faith that's on fire. It's a faith that's saying, let's go seven more days. It, it, it's, it's a faith that just has the ingredients and the requirements of obedience and perseverance. And I would say this by reading what Jesus says here in just a minute. If both of those attributes are not present, your faith is in question. I'm not calling you lost. I'm not telling you you're lost. I'm just telling you, if you ain't got both, according to what Jesus said, I'm going to use his words. Your faith is in question. Your salvation is in question. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So what's that mean? That means if you stay the course. If you don't stay the course, what does it mean? If you don't follow my word because you get to a part that you don't like or that you, you, you thought was going to change your lifestyle and you weren't ready for that, and you, you don't do it, what does that mean? Must mean you're not his. You don't like my words, you don't have to. You can like Jesus's, right? It's a false disciple that makes an empty, momentary profession. I can't tell you how many people I've seen get on fire for the Lord for 30 minutes. You laugh, but I'm serious. 30 minutes and gone. 45, if you've got a preacher like me, you can preach a little longer, right? Then it's over. I'm serious. Walk out the door the rest of the week. They let the water outside, cool them off faster than they get to the car. Why? Jesus goes on to say if they don't produce fruit, they don't remain in the vine, and therefore 
that reveals they probably didn't have true saving faith. Pastor, these are verses we just really don't like. Well, if we want to get where Hezekiah was and we want four chapters about us, we sure better figure them out. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end that will be saved. This is Jesus speaking. So what's Jesus saying? You have to endure till when? The end. What's he saying? If you stop early, there's a problem. You need to check that faith you got. What he's saying is, I'm going to put, we think about it. What did we, we start with? Power? Power in name? He said, I'm going to put so much power up in you, it ain't going to run out early. Could you imagine if you could drive and just never run out of gas? He's saying, he said, he said, I'm going to put so much in you, you ain't going to run out. Now, you might get a little low, and that's when you need to get pissed up at the church, right? Open the word. But I'm going to put enough in there where you ain't going to run out if it's real. And if you run out, according to what he said, maybe it wasn't real. Now, perseverance doesn't save you either. That ain't what I'm saying. But if you don't have perseverance, then your faith is in question, is what Jesus said. He's saying that faith supplies all that stuff. Not all that stuff makes salvation more. Not all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? It just it supplies it. Hezekiah had. He said he clung to the Lord. His faith was real. His faith endured. Right. Peter said it this way. John chapter six. Sixty seven through sixty nine. Therefore, Jesus said to the twelve. Y'all know what this is after, right? Jesus just preached. Seventy something people left him. They didn't like what he said. Peace out. You imagine that? Can you imagine if I start? You know, I can't imagine how it would feel like, to be honest. I started preaching, and y'all don't like something. 72, y'all just get them and roll out. 12 left. I don't know if I'd have the audacity to speak like Jesus. Jesus looks at the 12 that's left, and he says, you don't want to go away too? Pedro's is open. Right? Simon Peter, the only one bold enough to answer up, he says, Lord, Yahweh, who do we go to? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love it again. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Like one of the first times his disciples, his closest, are finally getting it. Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats, you could call it. So he throws out a hard sermon. 72, I think. I can't remember. 70-something. Roll out. We're goats. We didn't like it. Twelve are left. Jesus gives them the opportunity to go to some angle, make you stay. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. But Peter, Peter says, where are we going to go? Science can't solve our problems. Alcohol can't solve our problems. Sex can't solve our problems. Money can't solve our problems. Where are we going to go? Only you, the one that's got all the answers. You got answers and we don't even understand the answers. I love it. And because he had this same attitude, I didn't want to use seven and eight just to be upfront and honest with you guys. But I feel like I should be honest when I, when I have a problem. Here, here, and I'll tell you why. You guys are going to know why when I read it. Verse seven and eight, back to 18. It says Yahweh was with him and wherever he went, he prospered. I, I have a problem with the prosperity gospel. All right. I got a problem with this. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy all the time, and that's all that matters. I'm not saying God don't want you healthy, wealthy, and happy either. 
I'm just saying that ain't the main thing, okay? Some people, some people go so against the prosperity gospel that they miss it. There ain't nothing that says God don't want you to have the things. They just can't be the main thing. You know what I'm saying? All right. So when I, when I say prosper or prosperous or whatever the verse says, I just want you guys to understand. Don't assume that's what's going on. Because in two, in two chapters, about 20, no, only 15 years later, 15 years later, Hezekiah's going to get real, real sick. Real, real sick. So health, wealth, and all that stuff, it ain't, it, ain't, it ain't exactly what it's talking about. What it's saying is as long as I walk in the way of the Lord, as long as he walked in the way of the Lord, the Lord is taking care of stuff in front of me. Now prove that by the way it follows, right? It says, and, and, and the Lord is with him wherever he went, he prospered. Then it follows with this. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. All right, so, so he's following the Lord. He's rebelling, right? So we got to know what happens. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and his borders from the watchtower in the fortified city. He did what God said. God answered right. When you trust God, God won't let you down. You can run straight off the edge of the pool without stopping, and Abba's going to catch you. You can sling your head back, and he's going to make sure you don't hit brick. You hit water, right? When you depend solely on him, he will not fail. There's a special peace and confidence that comes with this kind of deliverance, and that's spiritual prosperity. When, 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 when life can hit you real hard, see, I'm not amazed by people who got a great life and still worship the Lord. Not to take away from your worship in any way, not to think it's undermined in any way. But for me personally, I look at it, I'm like, man, why wouldn't you be worshiping the Lord? What amazes me is the dude who got slapped, gut punched in the throat. I don't even know how you get gut punched in the throat. I guess that don't work. So he got hit so hard and went through the gut to the throat, right? Massive hit. And they still break down in some worship and go seven days longer than they're supposed to. They still worship the Lord. They still dance in the house when they don't even know what's going on and the rain is falling outside, right? That's the people that get me. It's the people who don't walk through hell and can still raise their hands and worship at the very end of it, right? That's the, I mean, I'm just telling you who gets me. Maybe that ain't who gets you, right? But but the, the, the way that people come out on the other end, it blows my mind, man. It does like the peace and the confidence and, 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 and what they have from trusting in the Lord. He trusted in God and God wouldn't leave him and God did. He trusted in the Lord that God wouldn't fail him and God did. He trusted in God that God wouldn't forsake him and God doesn't. This extreme trust. Remember what, what it said to, to his enemies? He, he rebelled against them. Yeah, I didn't want to get here because it goes in the next week, right? But, but he rebelled so much it took them 10 years to finally make their way over to Hezekiah. Those Assyrians. Well, what's the most powerful group in the world at the time who done took down everybody else? Doing that it took 10 years to go attack the little Christians. Right? The, the little people of God. What, what took them 10 years to build up the courage to go there? They were scared. They ain't going to tell me nothing else. They went around beating up a bunch of little people and building up their reputation. I'm going to read about it. That's exactly what they did. They literally went around. History tells us, I'm a history tells us, not even the Bible, history tells us they went through and took down 46 walled cities. During this guy's reign that I can't pronounce the name of that comes up in chapters 18 or verses 18, right? 46 walled fortified cities is what history tells us this guy took out. Maybe this is a good time to transition then, right? Because right after something good happens. And now when Satan attacks the strongest. Am I right? We got a summary of his life in these first couple of verses, right? But but we also I also made Carla read the. The bad that I don't like, even though Hezekiah is one of my favorite, right? He, he had, he had a moment of failure. Because, because even though he started good in the first year of his reign, he did this and Chronicles 29, what all he did, right? He had barely been on the throne and reopened the temple and all this stuff. Paul writes in second, or first Corinthians chapter 10, therefore let him who thinks he stands 
take heed so he doesn't fall. You ever seen like people who get a little overconfident? You ever seen like kids when they get overconfident before a game? An adult who gets overconfident in a situation. Oh, I can handle it. You don't know how strong and awesome I am. Then life punches them right in the nose. Right? Satan loves to attack you right after a great victory. And it's human nature just to feel somewhat more confident right after a victory, right? And that's why I think Satan does do it. You, you remember what happened? Noah got off the boat. What did he do? He got wasted. He did. Read it. And Noah got off the boat and he got drunk. Right after a moment of victory, Moses exited Jesus, uh, exited Egypt. And what does he do? He gets mad and strikes a rock. Right? Peter confessed Christ. And then what happens? No, even before that, it's even better. You don't remember he's sitting at a table and he goes, oh, I confess you to be the best. And he says, but Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. Yeah, oh, so hard. I know he's got good intentions. Don't cover it up for him. Get over there, right? Well, he was just trying to love on Jesus. and that- Jesus had a mission and he knew it. And he wouldn't even let a friend stop him from getting there. Maybe that's an extra lesson for you today, right? That one's free, right? But, but here's what Jesus has to look at him and say, get behind me. Oh, man. Dude, just profess Christ as a savior, as his, as his, as his, as his, as his leader and, and his teammate. And the very next words out of him is what? Get, get behind me, Satan. Man. Right? We see it a lot, man. Satan is now pressuring Hezekiah on what's coming up. This is a form of testing, guys. He, he's got 29 years. We got it at the beginning. He's got 29 years to lead these people. If God's going to keep you in a position of authority for a long period of time, he's going to have to train you up. Carla said this morning when we were talking, she goes, she goes we, we, we don't get to stop at just the Facebook Hezekiah. Ball season's coming up. Let me go ahead and let y'all know. We will post when we win a game. If we didn't post that we won a game, don't you ask my boys about how the game went. It ain't no guessing game what happened. We got our butts beat and we don't want to talk about it. Right? I say we because I cheer right there with them on the sidelines. So it's, I'm like part of them, right? Think about it though. You don't post when things are bad. You post when things are good. If you are one of them over-dramatized women that post when things are bad, all you're looking for is attention. I'm sorry, that stepped on my toe. Maybe it should have. I don't know. Whatever. Right? Here's three things. Pivotal things from his rough batch. I'll go quick on them. Right? You get a destroyed nation. What happens in 9 through 12? We get a, a, a repeat of what happened in chapter 17. Remember, Israel's wiped out. They're gone. They're destroyed. You wonder, why, why does he go back into that again? Because he wants you to understand where Hezekiah is when he gets to make his bad decision. Not, not that it's an excuse. He's not using it as an excuse. He's just saying, like, this, this is realistic. If you just watched, now I know you're saying, well, they're not, they weren't his people, da, 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 right? If you just watched, they're still Israel. They're still your neighbor to the north, right? The, the northern tribes that God chose, God chose the people, they were still delivered out of Egypt. They were still given the promised land, right? If you just watch those guys get destroyed, what goes into your mind? I tell you what goes in my mind every time, and unfortunately it's getting more, more repetitive. Every time I watch these famous so-called pastors and big leaders and all this stuff make a dumb mistake and fall, instantly I pray, God, please don't let it be me. Don't, don't you dare let it be me, God. God, I'm putting up my border right now. I'm putting up the stone wall. I'm calling on you right now to be the protector and the leader. Don't you dare let it be me. Because I'm not dumb enough to think, that I can handle what they couldn't handle. 
If they were as mighty and as strong and as awesome as they were, and they still fell to the flesh or fell to this or fell to that or whatever, you better be aware that you can fall too. And unfortunately, Hezekiah gets that awareness, but but he gets it a little too strong. Right. And, and it says that they were. And he even he even repeats in verse 12 of chapter 18. He repeats why this is going on. This isn't the Assyrians just coming over and take care of business. This is God letting them. Remember, it said that God sent the Assyrians. God got sick of Israel and their disobedience. Right. In case you need to study up on it so that you know about your covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 49, all the way through the end. Gives the, gives the covenant. He goes, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. And if I'm going to do what I'm going to do, this is God speaking. But if you don't do what you do, there going to be consequences. Right? And he does that. And Israel had broken the covenant, so they received the pre-written consequences of such sin. Ten out of twelve tribes gone. you got to wonder, was Hezekiah thinking, if they fell, if God let it happen to them, couldn't God let it happen to Right, so that, that's the condition he's at. So a destroyed nation. Here's what it leads to, and here's what happens when stiff-necked people, fear, right, sets the stage for what happens next. When you let fear get in and you get stiff-necked, you stop trusting God, you make poor decisions. Look at 13. 13, it says, and in the 14th year, 10 years later, guys, don't don't ever get on a, on a stretch in life where like things are good and you feel like you, you can handle it all without the Lord. I don't care if it's 10 years, 20 years, or 100 years. You know what I'm saying? 10 years later, 14th year of King Hezekiah, Assyrians King Shinashirib, that's the proper way of saying it, Carla, attacked all the fortified states in Judah and captured them. Oh, crap. Now, now I want you to picture this now. You're Hezekiah. It's been 10 years, but you ain't never forgot about all 10 of the, the northern tribes falling, right? You hadn't forgotten about all the refugees that, that started coming to Passover with you and all that, right? 10 years later, now you're getting news. Your, 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 your message boy is running up and telling you, Hezekiah, they, they destroyed they destroyed that fortified city. And he comes up again. Hey, they, they took down the walls of that other city. 46 of them. Remember I said 46 by historical account. 46 of them. 46 times of a message boy coming up and saying, they're getting closer. They're getting closer. And they're taking out fortified cities. I think the message boy probably meant well, but how much fear was he putting in Hezekiah? You got some people in your life that mean well, but if they keep coming up to you 46 times to tell you about negative stuff without trying to give you a way out, they're probably trying to instill fear in you. And the more fear they instill in you, the more stiff-necked you'll get. That's what happens when Hezekiah freezes. I love him, but he wasn't perfect. Thank God, because I'm not either, right? Ten years later, he gets stiff-necked, and this is what happens. And I just want you to understand the anxiety that he's feeling. Because I know some of us get in anxious situations where it messes with us, right? But here's what you need to understand. Remember, he gave us the warning. God sent them. Judah didn't need to appease the wrath of Assyria. They needed to appease the wrath of God. Judah was failing to trust God. Fear replaced it. And here's what happens in 14. So King Hezekiah and Judah sent word to the king of Assyria. I've done wrong. Well, hold on. What, what did you do wrong? I need, I need you guys to understand this because here, here's what he's doing. When he says, this is, this is I wrote down, ouch. When he says I've done wrong, he's, re, he's referring back to verse 7. Verse 7, what did he do? 
And Yahweh was with him wherever he went. He prospered. So he rebelled against the king of Assyria. So what's he saying? I, I did wrong about rebelling. I'm sorry. Right? He, go, he goes even further, man. Still in verse 14. I've done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you demand, I will pay. Whatever it requires to get allegiance to you, I will do. What blows my mind when, when I finally caught it, he's saying the right words, but he's saying them to the wrong person. He's repenting. He's not only repenting, he's pledging allegiance to. He's saying, I'm sorry for what I did wrong. I'll do whatever now to be on your team. So he's saying the right words, but he's saying them to the king of Assyria and said it to the Lord. Sometimes you and I say the right thing, but to the wrong person. Hezekiah is going back on this decision. He's apologizing. He, man, he's messing up. And you would think it's about to be kind of good, but, but when he says whatever you impose, how many people going to beat somebody up wouldn't want to hear somebody say this word? Oh, whatever you want, I'll give you. Good. Give me all you. That's why the bully takes all the lunch money. You ever notice he don't say give me a quarter. He don't say give me a dollar. He says give me all your lunch money. Because that's a bully when they get you. So that's what the king of Assyria does. He goes, oh, I want 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. That's a lot of money, guys. So much money. Don't miss. Because a destroyed nation leads to a poor decision, leads to a desperate search. He starts going through his own house, takes out all the gold, all the silver, and ain't enough. You ever notice when you get behind on something and you ain't got enough in your house, you're willing to go to other houses and get what you can get? That's how desperate he gets. So much so that it tells us in the verse that he goes to the temple and he cuts off the gold from the doors, from the doorpost, which he had overlaid when he opened the temples back up. Can you imagine being so desperate? Can you imagine if one of y'all got a, got an app right now and it said you was behind on something, so you went back there and shook the offering box upside down, I gotta get my money back. For God's sake, don't do it. I'll open the door and you can get whatever money you want back out of it, right? But can you imagine that's how desperate he is, guys? That's real life where he's at. He's so desperate, he's cutting out gold from the temple to tear it down, trying to buy mercy at such a great expense. So I wrote down, redemption is far beyond our ability to purchase. Because it is. You can't purchase it on your own. So much so, Hezekiah thinks it works. Here's where it gets real bad, man. He thinks it's work. Verse 17 says this. So the king of Assyria, he sent these other guys down there in a large army to Jerusalem. What did he think was going to happen? Do y'all understand this scene? If you went to a new cliff, I'm sorry, I messed up, dog. Whatever you require, I'll pay you. If that's the way I'm acting, is you going to be scared to fight me? No! And neither was the king of Assyria. <laughs> if that dude is that afraid of us, let's just send an army down there and beat him up anyway. Right? And that's what he does. So he sends his army down to Jerusalem. So they went up and they came to Jerusalem. And when they went up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is the highway of the Fuller's Field. Now this whole army standing there. Right? Ready to take care of stuff. He saw a king that was weak, so why would he stop early? Hezekiah is learning the ineffectiveness of not trusting God. If you get nothing else today, please know there is ineffectiveness in trusting anything but God. Anything but God. God is so sovereign. He does whatever he wants, right? Hezekiah does become a rock later, guys. P.S. That's the cliffhanger. We're going to come back next week. Right? You're like, oh, but the army's standing on the hill. Yeah, they're going to stand for seven days on the hill. Because we're going to come back next Sunday on them, right? But here's what I want you to understand. He, when, I, when, I, when I tell you he becomes a rock, he does. 
So much so to what did it say about his life? He was one who trusted God like no one before him and no one after. Here's why, here's why I wanted us to get us to this point and then end it, right? Because here's what incident, incidents taught him. He never fails again, at least recorded. He might have made some little mistakes, whatever, sure. But nothing else is ever recorded about a failure. So it made me think about Romans 8, 28, right? We know that God causes all things to work together. He was building him up this whole time to get him ready for these 29 years. How many hardships he was going to have to go against? How many trials? How many wars, right? He was using it to teach Hezekiah. You trust in the wrong thing. This is what's going to happen. Trust in the wrong thing. This is what's going to happen. Trust in the right thing. I'll take care of you. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And yet endurance has a perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. God wants to test you, to build you up, to make you better. Hebrews uh, 12, 11, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet those who have been trained by it afterward yield a peaceful fruit of righteousness. God uses your moments of failure. And if you came here this morning, you need to hear this. Just because This might be your moment. Just because you had a moment of past failure, it doesn't mean that you can't live a life of faith. Hezekiah had a big slip up, man. He made a wrong decision and he messed things up, right? Yet he learned from it. He learned from it. I did kind of spill the beans. I forgot. So when that guy comes down the hill, don't forget verse 20. I know I did them all that order. So verse 17 we just read, you got the whole army standing on this hill ready to take care of business. When they look down, do you remember what verse 20 said? The leader of that army looked back at the king of Assyria and said, I need to ask him what's this trust that he's trusting in. Meaning, meaning this is what it tells me that we don't get all the details. We don't even know what he did to make the Assyrian uh, uh, king really mad. He don't tell us. But what it does tell us is that them little old Christians, right? Pre-Christians, whatever you want to call them, them little old God's people, they must have been standing at the bottom of the hill ready. Because that dude's standing at the top of the hill, and two verses later, he looks down and he says, we need to go down there and ask him what trust he's trusting in. Maybe he don't see how big we is, right? Maybe he don't know it. Is that you after a fall, though? Get with me, get with me. Is this you after a fall? Can you fall and then understand I trust in God to pick me back up? I trust it that he can grow me and learn me from all this stuff, right? Hezekiah, Hezekiah messed up and he, and he messed up with Assyria. Peter, he fled from Jesus in the garden and denied him three times. John Mark, he deserted Paul on a missionary trip. How you want a missionary trip and mess up? Ain't everybody on a mission trip perfect deals? Huh? Thought y'all was perfect since y'all been on a missionary trip. Timothy, he wanted to quit his church at Ephesus. Paul has to write a letter to the guy who, who I, I told you before, one of my heroes because he's a young pastor. He had, to, he had to write him a letter and say, you can't quit, you moron. You're the one God called to the spot. Elijah, we, we did him a few well, months ago. He ran 40 days in the wilderness. And then when he got to the end, what did he say? Lord, just kill me. These don't sound like awesome people. Yet every single one of the ones I just mentioned has a verse about them in Scripture that says they were faithful men of God. You can fall as long as you get back up. You can fall as long as you get back on, as long as you determine to trust God from here on out. Proverbs chapter three, five through six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not on your lean, not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I told you I was going to repeat it. If you trust God with your eternity. If you trust him with your, your salvation. Why can't you trust him with what you're going to do the rest of the day? Why can't you trust him what you're going to do tomorrow, this week, next week, a month after? I'm talking big and little, man. Big things like after you graduate or little things while you're still in school. 
Chris had a, a job opportunity. First thing she said when we laid in bed that night after, you know, kind of talking about it with friends. So she goes, I want you to pray over it. We got to start giving all, all the stuff together. That's an internship, man. That ain't no, ain't talking about no, she ain't starting no law firm or nothing yet. All right, it's just an internship. Now it's awesome. It's great. The teacher sought her out. He saw in her what I see in her, right? But the reality is that was, that was just a little small thing on the big scale. But it still had to be taken to God in prayer and trusting him and his answer. What is it in your life that you, you swear, oh, I trust God for salvation, but you don't trust him with tomorrow? Kind of goes with that theory of, oh, I would die for the Lord. Would you? Because you won't live for him. Right? Is that, is that true? Let's pray, man. Let God take you, take you over. Father God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this chapter. You know I ain't happy that you let me finish it. But that's between me and you. But Lord, I pray that the, the verses we got to, Lord God, the, the ones that we've studied, the ones that you gave illustration on, Lord God, God, the ones that you pointed points out on, Lord, that you will take every single one of them and use them for your glory. God, I pray right now that, that if there's those of us in this room that need to increase our trust in you, then Lord God, right now you hammer it to us. God, if there's something we need to repent of, let us repent to the right one. Let us pledge allegiance to the right one. Not anything of this world, Lord God, but of you. And Lord God, I pray that we get so on fire. Lord, I'm asking you right now. You fired me up with this section, Lord God. You fired me up with chapters that are coming. So I pray, Lord God, it follows that, that Chronicles chapter 29, 30, 31. God, I pray that my fire flow into the people because it's a fire you started. I pray now that you bring your wind, Lord God, from your Holy Spirit. It gushes into this room, Lord God, like it did in the upper room. And Lord God, we leave out these walls today. Lord God, that we'll go tear down everything, Lord God, that needs to be torn down in our lives so that we can put you in the position you're supposed to be in already. Your great and holy name we pray. Amen.